Section sixty of the Living Animals of the World, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen Winterburn. The Living Animals of the World, Volume One, Mammals, by Charles Lewis Cornish, Editor. The Armadillos. Readers of this book will doubtless have noticed long ere this how manifold are the devices for the purpose of defense adopted by the mammalia. The armadillos have certainly selected the most complete, having encased themselves in an impenetrable bony armor as perfect as the coat of mail of the warrior of the Middle Ages. Concerning this and the variations thereon adopted by the different members of the group, we shall speak presently. Armadillos are mostly confined to South America, and occur both in the open pampas and the shady depths of the forest. They live in burrows which they dig with incredible speed. These burrows are generally found in the vicinity of the nests of ants and termites, which form their staple diet. One species, however, at least, feeds apparently with equal relish upon vegetable matter, eggs, young birds, mice, snakes, and carrion. The bony armor is disposed over the crown of the head, back, and flanks. It is made up of numerous small bony plates, buried deep in the skin, and each overlaid by a horny scale. The tail is protected by bony rings. The plates covering the shoulders and those directly over the hindquarters fuse into a solid mass, thus forming chambers into which the limbs can be withdrawn. In the region of the body between these two shields, the plates are arranged in rows encircling the body, thus permitting the animal to roll itself up as occasion may require. Hairs grow out between the plates and in some cases give the animal quite a furry appearance. Speaking of the burrowing powers of the armadillo, Darwin, in his most fascinating Voyage of the Beagle, tells us that the instant one was perceived, it was necessary, in order to catch it, almost to tumble off one's horse, for in soft soil the animal burrowed so quickly that its hinder quarters would almost disappear before one could alight. It seems almost a pity to kill such nice little animals, for as a gaucho said, while sharpening his knife on the back of one, son tan mansos, they are so quiet. As a rule, armadillos are regarded as animals loving dry, sandy wastes. Nevertheless, they are said to be able to swim both well and swiftly. The flesh of the armadillo is apparently by no means unpalatable. The Pichasiago One of the most remarkable of the armadillos is the Pichasiago, or fairy armadillo. It is a tiny creature of some five inches long, found in the sandy wastes of the western part of the Argentine Republic. The horny covering of the bony plates is pinkish color, and the hair is silky in texture and snow white. But it is not on this account that the fairy armadillo is remarkable. Its claim to notoriety rests on the peculiar arrangement of the bony plates constituting the armor. These bony plates are small and thin, and covered, as in other species, with a horny coat. But instead of being embedded in the skin, 
They are attached only along the middle of the back and project freely over the body on either side, leaving a space between the shield and the body. The hinder end of the body is specially protected by a nearly circular vertical shield firmly fixed to the hip girdle. This shield, it is said, is used as a plug to fill up its burrow with. The Peludo Armadillos of the normal type, wherein the body armor is embedded in the skin, are represented by numerous species. Of one, known as the Peludo, Mr. Hudson has given us some interesting details. It feeds, he tells us, not only upon insects, but also upon vegetable matter, eggs, young birds, and carrion. Its method of capturing mice was certainly ingenious. It hunted by smell, and when nearing its prey became greatly agitated. The exact spot discovered, the body was raised slowly to a sitting posture and then flung suddenly forwards, so that the mouse or nest of mice was imprisoned beneath and promptly dispatched. Still more remarkable, says Mr. Lydecker, is the manner in which a paludo has been observed to kill a snake. By rushing upon it and proceeding to saw the unfortunate reptile in pieces by pressing upon it closely with the jagged edges of its armor, and at the same time moving its body backwards and forwards. The struggles of the snake were all in vain, as its fangs could make no impression upon the panoply of its assailant, and eventually the reptile slowly dropped and died, to be soon afterwards devoured by the armadillo, which commenced the meal by seizing the snake's tail in its mouth and gradually eating forwards. The Pangolins the pangolins, or scaly anteaters, are perhaps even more curious creatures than the armadillos. They have been likened in appearance to animated spruce fir cones, to which indeed they bear a strange resemblance. This resemblance is due to the wonderful armature of the skin, which takes the form of large overlapping pointed horny plates or scales. The pangolins are confined to the Old World, occurring in South Africa and southeastern Asia. Like the American anteaters, teeth are wanting, and the tongue is long and worm-like, being employed in the capture of insects, as in the New World anteaters. The scales of the manis are formed by the fusion together of fine hairs. Like the spines of the hedgehog and porcupine, they serve the purpose of offensive defense. For when the manis rolls itself up, these pointed scales project at right angles to the body and offer a formidable resistance to any enemy whatsoever. They also serve to break the force of a fall, which, indeed, is often voluntary. For should the animal wish to descend from the branch of a tree, it will often take a shortcut to the ground by deliberately dropping, the force of the fall being entirely broken by the elastic scales. In climbing, the tail is of the greatest service, its undersurface being clothed with pointed scales, which serve as so many climbing hooks. The grasp of a tree trunk gained by the hind legs and tail is so secure that the body can be moved to a horizontal position with ease. In a specimen kept in captivity by Mr. Fraser, this horizontal movement was a form of exercise which appeared to afford the greatest pleasure. The Aardvark 
The custom of naming newly discovered animals after well-known forms to which they are supposed to bear some resemblance, physically or otherwise, is a common one. The animal now under consideration shows this once more, having originally received the name of aardvark, earth pig, from the boars of the Cape. The aardvark is a most decidedly ugly animal, and justifies its name in several particulars. It is hunted for the sake of its hide, which is of great thickness and resembles that of the pig, but is sparsely covered with hairs, the general shape of its body being not unlike that of a long-headed, short-legged, heavy-tailed pig. The whole animal is about six feet long. In a wild state, or even in captivity, it is but rarely seen, since it is a night-feeder and passes the day in sleep deep down in a burrow. This burrow it digs for itself with the aid of powerful claws borne on the forefeet. It lives principally on ants and termites, breaking down their nests, and remorselessly sweeping up the frightened occupants with a long, sticky tongue, as soon as they rush to the seat of the disturbance which has broken up the harmony and order of their community. At one time it was believed that the aardvark was a close ally of the pangolin, but later researches have disproved this and have furthermore thrown doubt upon the probability of its relationship with any of the members of this group of mammals at all. There are two species of this animal, the Cape aardvark of South and Southeast Africa, and the Ethiopian aardvark of Northeast Africa. Where the nest-building ants are most common, there will the aardvark, or inagus, as the boars sometimes call it, be most plentiful. The nests of these ants are huge structures of from three to seven feet high, and often occupy vast areas of ground, extending as far as the eye can reach. They are substantially built, and swarm with occupants, and consequently are quite worth raiding. But the aardvark has become much less common since a price has been set upon its skin. The powers of digging of these animals are so great that they can completely bury their large bodies in a few minutes, even when the ground has been baked by the sun into something like adamantine hardness. In excavating their burrows, the ground is thrown out by the forefeet in huge lumps, through or rather between the hind legs. Shy and suspicious, the least unusual sound will send them scuttling to earth, for their sense of hearing is very keen. They seem to change their minds somewhat frequently when engaged in digging out a new burrow, for half-excavated burrows in the side of anthills are very commonly met with. A fully grown aardvark is about six feet long, generally rather more. Although this animal is frequently kept in captivity, it is but rarely seen by visitors, owing to its nocturnal habits, of which we have already spoken. The teeth of the aardvark are sufficiently remarkable to justify notice here. Only the crushing teeth are represented, that is to say, the front or cutting teeth are conspicuous by their absence. These crushing teeth number from eight to ten in the upper and eight in the lower jaw on each side, but in the adult fewer would be found, the number being reduced to five in each side of the jaws. That is to say, there are but twenty all told. In structure, these teeth are quite remarkable, differing entirely from those of all other mammals, and resembling those of some fishes. Furthermore, they have no roots, 
but instead grow continually throughout life, which rooted teeth do not. End of section 60. Recording by Stephen Winterburn.